This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DTV Digest. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me tonight are Richard Hawes. Hello, everyone. And Stephen Lockeridge. Hello. And uh, later on in the show, we will have a special guest, uh, Rick Ives, who is the writer, director, and editor of the um, heist film Solid Rock Trust. Uh, But this week, we were looking at uh, Nicolas Cage in The Old Way. Uh, Then we have Aubrey Plaza in Emily the Criminal. Uh, Then we have a nice little horror film, The Harbinger. Our short shot is Dream War. And our DTV throwback is You Might Be the Killer. So without further ado, let's crack on. Our first film then is The Old Way. Colton Briggs was once a notorious gunslinging, sharpshooting enforcer for a land baron until things went south for his boss and he moved on and settled down. Now, 20 years later, Colton's past catches up with him with devastating consequences, forcing him to head on a road of vengeance with his young daughter. Uh, This has been touted as the first Western to star Nicolas Cage as Colton Briggs. Um, I really like this. Uh, it, It sort of touches on various sort of genre tropes. Um, but it's well shot. It's got decent production values, uh, some decent action from times, and some good good acting. Um, I, I did enjoy this. Uh, Steve, what did you make of The Old Way? Yep, enjoyed it. I don't think quite as much as you, but, um, you know, it's got the old revenge Western tropes in there. Uh, you know, old gunslinger. Now turned family man. It's an old, old Western John Wick in a way, really. You know? I was—I I must admit, I was kind of waiting for him to sort of take a sledgehammer to to, to the concrete floor or something, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. dig out his old guns or something like that. But no, it yeah. didn't quite happen. Yeah. The dog, being the dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's good. I mean, I think Case puts in a decent performance. He's not over the top. It's a very subdued performance you know hmm. and even his daughter as well i mean i don't know to me it was like kind of seemed to me like they were trying to say she was kind of on the spectrum yeah in a way and obviously in that that time didn't really know what it, what it was and everything like that, which i thought was quite interesting um because it's not something that they normally normally show back in you know yeah in the Wild West, I thought that was that was a decent spin on it, and you know, even the bad guys weren't too over the top. It was nice to see um, Clint Howard in there. I've not seen him yep. for a while, mm-hmm. and and even the you know the main idea, I I thought he played it really well as well. You know, quite menacing, and yeah, overall pretty decent. I he was nicely shot. Um, you know, the action scenes were quite again it wasn't too overly edited you know it was 
like it would have been, you know, not, not over rushed or anything like that. So, yeah, all in all, pretty decent. Yeah, I, I really did like this one. Um, Rich, your take on the old way. I'm afraid I didn't get a chance to see this one, but oh. I am intrigued to see yeah. that um, uh, I was looking at the cast list that Clint Howard's in this movie. Yep. So does he have a big role, small role? It's, what does he do? Yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the, uh, the sort of the, the main four bad guys, isn't he? Um, yeah. Uh, and yeah, he, he plays this, you know, it, he, he wears like an old Confederate cap. You know, so obviously, you know, he fought for the South during, during the Civil Wars kind of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, he, he's, he's pretty decent in this. Uh, sort of an old curmudgeon sort of character. Uh, we've also yeah. got Abraham um, Ben Ruby. Ben Ruby. Um, again, as, as Big Mike. He, he's got a, a, um, a similarly large role in this. Um, as, as sort of one, you know, one of these henchmen. Uh, mm. he, he's really good. You know, he's, he's got a really imposing presence in this one. Yeah, um, he, he was in um, uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas, Christmas Bloody was the Christmas, last time yeah. we were talking about him. Uh, yeah, so good to see him turning up again in something. I was Obviously, I didn't get a chance to watch the movie, but like, nice to see his name popping up. Mm. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's still, you know, getting his quite interesting roles. But yeah, um, so uh, Nicolas Cage, is it, uh, is, his, is, he, is it a proper leading role for him or is it like a, a sneaky... You know, kind of oh, no, yeah, geezer teaser yeah. no, kind he, of thing, or no, no, he's definitely definitely front and center. Um, okay, and there's, you know, there's some nice sort of juxtaposition with this character because when we first see him, he's got this handlebar moustache, you know, in the past, and he's supposed to be this henchman for this guy, but he, he you know, um, they're about to hang this guy um, for supposedly robbing the Baron, uh, the, the land Baron guy, and. You know, they know that this guy's brother is going to be trying something like watch out for, you know, watch out for trouble sort of thing. And he literally just, he just sits there, doesn't he? He just, he just stands yeah, there and, and lets it all happen. And, and then, you know, takes his moment. Yeah. So he, he just sort of, you know, he just picks his moment sort of thing. But that, that turns out to be a, um, you know, a turning point both for him and for other characters. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he goes his separate ways and then, he settles down and he, and he does sort of settle down properly. You know, he, get, he gets a job. He runs a hardware store or something in town. You know, um, he's got a young daughter. He's got a wife. And he's, he's, he's all happy. Um, yeah, you know, happy to have t sort of um, put his past behind him. But of course, you know, unfortunately, it catches up with him. Um, and it sort of sends him down this other path. And, it, you know, th th there's this moment which reminded me of... Um, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, basically yeah. the, um, the yeah. sort of samurai thing. Um, in in that film, in the first one, um, you know, he he lets his son choose whether or not he's going to live or die. Basically, he's saying, "Well, you know, you can either have the shiny ball, in which case I'll kill you and you can stay with your mum, who's also dead, or if you grab the sword, that means." You know, you're coming on, coming with me, and there's a, a kind of a similar moment to that in the film where, where you know, he's he's trying to decide which way to sort, of, you know, whether or not he should sort of take his daughter with him or not. Um, but yeah, there's another interesting thing which, which only sort of comes to light at the end, where he keeps looking at his watch, 
you know, it, it, it keeps taking out his watch and sort of looking at it. Look, you think, okay, he wants another time. But, you know, it, do, it does have sort of a different sort of significance at the end, which I thought was quite good as well. Yeah. But, yeah, no, this this was a solid little film. Um, really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, good, good old Nicolas Cage um, in a Western for once. How are you going to score yeah. it, Steve? I'll give it a seven. I think it's a very solid seven. Definitely. Yeah, this is definitely worth checking out. Uh, if you're a fan of Westerns or a fan of Nicolas Cage, or just a decent sort of genre film, um, two sevens for The Old Way. Go check it out. Our next review is Emily the Criminal. Emily is a young woman down on her luck and working dead-end jobs while her college friends travel the world. When she agrees to take part in a credit card scam, it sets her down a dark and dangerous path from which there may be no return. Um, I, 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 <clears throat> I didn't know what, whether or not I was going to enjoy this, I must admit, because it came across as, in the synopsis, it was going to be more of a drama. Um, and I'm, I'm not a fan of dramas very much. You know, but I'm glad that there was sort of some proper sort of genre elements to this. Um, and Aud- Aubrey Plaza is is great in the, in the central role um, in this. So I did enjoy this overall. Um, Steve? Yeah, I was a bit wondering what to expect. Because normally, <clears throat> I mean, the work I'm familiar with, Aubrey Plaza, is more the comedy side, you know, like hmm. Parts and Wreck and stuff like that. And the little I was that kind of thing um yeah. but this is more of a pared down you know naturalistic performance and you know it, the thing is it's that little misdemeanor she had in the past keeps catching up with her mm. you know and so it's like is the forgiveness in the world not really no because that's what sends her down on the path to do this you know, and there's quite a lot of tension built up there, and I've really enjoyed um, Theo, mm. Theo Rossi. Um, I've liked him since I saw him in, I think it was Luke Cage, wasn't it, the first thing I saw him in. And he keeps popping up now and again, I'm, I'm really enjoying him. And it loses its way a little bit in the third act, I think. You know, it goes a little bit, not A-wire, but just that stretches credibility just a little bit in the third act. But mm-hmm. apart from that, yeah, it's decent enough. Uh, Rich? Yeah, I was surprised that this is, um, you know, DTV. and Because it's it's such a quality movie, I think, that mm-hmm. I, I was, I, I just, even looking at the poster and stuff, like, you know, I'd heard buzz about it and everything. And I, I was really surprised. And I've, I've checked and double checked to see whether it had any kind of cinema release. And as far as I can tell, it didn't. Which does we say, which does surprise me, but the um, yeah, I can see what you're saying, Mike, about um, feeling like it was going to be a drama, more of a drama. I did too, you know, it's a film that played Sundance, that kind of thing. Um, but then you get these action beats sort of kicking in and stuff. It's 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 and it turns more into into a thriller, and uh, I liked it a lot. I thought it was you know really well. It's, it's, it 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 was as good as I kind of expected it to be in terms of its production quality and performances and the cinematography and everything um it's you know a film made to a very high standard i think the, it it's trying to set up a, a justification for the heroine's actions 
Mm. And then I think it's perhaps a bit too um, encouraging, I guess, of, of, of this. In, in You know, it's kind of like, um, yeah, I, I, I get the point, kind of the, the opening scene kind of makes a point of, the, you know, the, how there's this yeah. there was this event in the past that yeah. she can't move on to and it, it kind of the film keeps coming back to this kind of she's trying to go straight you know she's trying to do the right thing but then you know somebody will say something mean or whatever and then she just goes off and and does these things and it kind of seems to justify it. and and not just her but like the other characters as well and say so you can get on board with that to a certain extent and it's you know it's mm-hmm. fine and i kind of went with it but i did feel at times that it was justifying her too much there was there, there wasn't there's usually more of a uh she gets in there's all the she gets in too deep sort of comeuppance kind of you know mm. it catches up with her to an extent kind of stuff yeah but um not to the degree you might normally expect with with this kind of story uh yeah so again I, i'd not seen leo uh, i'd not seen theo rossi before and I, I was really taken with his performance as the as the you know the guy sort of sets her on this path you know you're not really sure of his motivations and then he he does seem quite um genuine in his sort of interest and affection for her and they develop quite any you know quite a good relationship um it he's was very sort of charismatic isn't he the, the way yeah he, he is yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean i like the start the start comes he has got a guy credited as office manager but it's john billingsley who's i don't know his name but he's one of those character actors who like i recognized mm. his voice straight away and i was like i know that guy's voice and stuff and uh, so i enjoyed sort of him turning up briefly and but the most of the cast are uh unknown to me i'd say Aubrey plaza i was not even really familiar with i'd i'd heard the name but i don't think i've ever seen her in anything that i can recall or at least nothing that she had a particular main role in so yeah she's she's got a really good performance here you know sort of very uh uh, how would you put it sort of like an honest sort of raw kind of performance you know sort yeah. of good good um yeah interesting character that she gets to play here um i would definitely recommend it i think it's i think it's really good i i i, I, uh, I mean you, you only have to watch the trailer to see all the sort of accolades that people have sort of heaped upon it of saying how good it is and i do think it lives up to it yeah i i, I thought it was going to be too much sort of social commentary kind of kind of thing but you know other than you know, a few moments um, about her position. You know, I, I think it is more of a sort of straightforward thriller. You know, that they, they use those elements to to give her motivation for, for, for getting in the situation she does. Um, but other than that, it's you know, it, it doesn't sort of hit you over the head with it too much. I don't think. No, was she in the Child's yeah. Play remake? Hmm? I believe she was. was. So I was just I looking up. Yeah. I, I just. Um... Looking up, and it looks like she was. Oh, and she, she. Oh, she was in King Knight as Pinecone. <laughs> some funny little bits she's done, but yeah, I, I, um, I hadn't noticed it before. She's done. She's also in um, the next Jason Statham film, Operation Fortune. Rose, mm-hmm. Rose, Rose de Guerre. Yeah. She's going to be in that. So yeah, I think she's. I mean, she's done loads of stuff. I mean, she seems quite. Um, oh, quite yeah, well that. Ingrid Goes yeah. West. Uh, I think did quite well. That was quite a noted mm. uh, indie movie. Uh, from a year or two ago but uh, yeah so this was the first time I'd seen her and I say I really liked her in it but the whole package I thought um, from a a writer director was it John Paul John Patton Ford sorry Uh, yeah sort of writer director yeah again somebody else whose work I'm not familiar with uh, interested to see what they've done before and what they might be doing next and stuff so yeah um, 
I, I definitely rate this one. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, uh, Steve, how are you going to rate it? I'll give it a seven. Mm -hmm. And Rich? Uh, I'll give it an eight. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to give it an eight, I think. So two eights and a seven for Emily the Criminal. Go check it out. Our next review is The Harbinger. In the middle of the first COVID-19 lockdown, a young woman called Monique travels into the city to help a former college friend who is suffering nightmares from which she can't awaken and sometimes they last for days. It's not long before Monique is also experiencing something similar and the pair trying to discover what is behind their dreams. Um, I saw this one last year at the Mayhem Film Festival. It was very impressive. Um, still really enjoyed it this time around as well. It's, um, it's you know, we were talking earlier about a film, um, Rick Ives' film, uh, that was filmed sort of during lockdown, but we, we haven't really sort of seen too many films that are about locked you know the, the lockdown mm. sort, of, sort of thing and and i think this this film does sort of capture that sort of element of sort of trepidation and fear and and also denial that was going on at the time yeah. especially in america I, th I think they handle that side of it quite well i also like the you know the the actual threat involved in this one and it's sort of very insidious uh, nature of what it actually does um, yeah, overall, I, I really like this. Um, Steve, what did you make of it? Yeah, um, I enjoyed it up until, say, like the third act, the last 20 minutes, and it kind of lost me at that point. Hmm. Um, I thought the setup was great, and I really did like the fact that it did, you know, it was set during the pandemic and stuck to the you know, people try to stick to the rules and stuff like that and how people basically live during that time. A story like this, you normally get someone who knows, who tells them what's happening and blah, 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 and, you know, comes around like a priest or something. And even that, you know, it's like a Zoom meeting. Yeah. You know, which worked, you know, I thought was really well done. And then it just gets a little bit confusing and a little bit too much for the last 20 minutes. And then it kind of peters out. And then you get the ending which you, you, know, you, you can't expect what's coming. Um, but I thought the performance was really good. I thought it was really well shot. I'll, you know, even the, 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 the baddie as such or whatever, he's, he's done really, really well. Um, just yeah. the last 20 minutes, I just thought it, 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 it lost me on them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, the, you know, the, there is a really interesting twist, which I don't want to sort of go into when people discover, but I, I was really impressed with it. In, in, you know, because it added this extra layer to what was going on and, and you know, to the, um, you know, to, to what this creature actually does to somebody, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just that they kill you, you know, it goes yeah, further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, which was really interesting, you know, and, and it leads to certain certain discoveries in the story and you think, oh my God, you know, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, Rich, your thoughts on, on The Harbinger? I'm going to echo a couple of things you've said there. I think go back to what you were talking about, that that being that it's set during the pandemic and whatever. That's the really striking thing when you first start it. I mean, um, exactly what you're saying. You know, we haven't seen, or, or I know there have been certain films, but I haven't watched many of the sort of 
pandemic set movies that have been released so far mm. but this one you know it, it's just it's so shocking when you watch it it doesn't seem real that i mean it's a really accurate representation of what was going mm. on mm. and it just it just feels bizarre it's just like that was you know it just get sort of get that flashback of what the, that was what was like life was like a couple of years ago and yeah. uh, and so that re that's really striking and, and and creates a kind of a weird uh feeling really because you you know it's it's something that fe seems so movie like so strange yeah <laughs> and yet was a real thing that actually was experienced uh, so i think it captures that really well the um uh, plot line uh, is is i i thought quite interesting but again i'm sort of leaning over sort of echoing what steve was saying in terms of it got quite confusing at the end now i think i knew what was going on but uh i had to give uh, in my circumstances i had to kind of watch this piecemeal and mm. and there was distractions and stuff so i don't think that helped with <laughs> trying to follow where some of the things so it's like characters disappear and you know characters end up in completely different locations and, and stuff and i think i did get it uh and that but i think and i think i understood the the, the sort of conclusion but it, it, yeah, it did kind of, it was, uh, I think you you need to sort of be sort of on your A game when, you, when you're watching it. Mm -hmm. uh, the, but I'd say, I, I did really, I thought it was really good. It's another, uh, it's, a, it's a new film from Andy Mitten, uh, writer-director who did The Witch in the Window, which uh, I yes, really covered right. a while, yeah. a quite, yeah. a, quite a time ago, uh, back in 2018, that was made. Um, that was his last film, which we really enjoyed. Another film that was quite small scale, uh, just as this is, you know, very small cast, very limited kind of environments and action. Uh, another horror film. And yeah, I thought the the, the cast and that were really good. Also interesting to interesting in the way that it's uh, it's another film that's uh, uh, a black cast uh, mm. led led film. And but it's it's not a film that uh, in any way sort of leans on that sort of idea it's 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 a naturalistic mm. natural kind of yeah. environment it, it's a protagonist yeah. who just happens to be black that's yeah space. exactly which is exactly as it yeah. should be and yeah. i think that's what what's good we're seeing a lot more films that are uh, i don't know I, I i'll be honest i don't know the ethnicity of, of andy mitten uh, but the it's really good to see um films that are not just focusing on white characters you know, and if they are doing black characters, then they're making them sort of really cliched or something. I think this is telling a real story about, you know, really identifiable mm. people, regardless of race. And I thought that was what, what yeah. was, uh, what was, was another thing that was really interesting about it, as well mm. as the ideas and stuff that it was conveying about the harbinger and what was going on there. And, and, and talking about sort of identifiable and sort of engaging characters, um, mm. you know, we got Monique and her brother and her dad sort of living together you know, at the beginning. And... Yeah, Monique and her brother have, you know, tell this story about the hot dogs, which I thought was brilliant. Uh, you know, it's a brilliant bit of writing that they did because it because it felt so like a natural sort of story. You know, oh yeah, didn't we tell you about the hot dog story? You know, it's, it's that sort of thing. Mm. And I, I was smiling, my you know, I had a big grin on my face as as they were sort of telling that and how it ended up. Uh, I can actually picture it, you know, but I thought I thought that was that was really good, really really well handled that. Cool. Okay. On that note, guys, how are we going to score it? Steve? Um, I'll give it a six. Mm -hmm. And Rich? I'm going to go six as well. I'm sticking with a seven on this one. Um, I, I thought this was very enjoyable. I, I've got the, the benefit of having already seen it. 
and and not being distracted so so i could follow the um that third act a bit better i guess mm. um but yeah though this this is very good you know it it is pretty original it, it it doesn't sort of um you know i suppose really you could sort of say oh you know a bit of nightmare in arm street in it, it, it could just cause dreams are involved but um yeah. I, I think it handles it really well um and it, it does have some very original and scary ideas so there you go that's two sixes and a seven for the harbinger go check it out Okay, we are joined by Rick Ives, the writer, director, and editor. Um, let me know if I've missed out any of your roles of this film, Rick. I also cleaned the toilets on the set, so <laughs> it's pretty much everything. <laughs> uh, a film called Solid Rock, Solid Rock Trust. Um, I keep calling it Red Rock West, which is an old um, Nick Cage film. <laughs> but um, yes, this is a, a film that me and Will uh, reviewed last year and it was in my top 10. I, I thought really highly of this. Um, I'm just going to run through the synopsis. Um, I will point out as well, this is available on Amazon Prime in the UK um, to rent. But um, IMDb has this saying, um, armed with only a collection of cell phones and a unique talent, a hacker orchestrates an elaborate bank heist within, a, within an abandoned building. But when things spin out of control, she has her wits to hold it all together. Um, you've got a great um, actress holding this film together, Coco Marshall. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know what your casting sheet, uh, call sheet, actually asked for. Um, I'm imagining it was something like um, able to switch accents at a drop of a hat. Uh, yeah, so... Truthfully, we were going to shoot this before COVID all hit and in out in Los Angeles, and we had started the casting process already. And then everything went down. As you know, we ended up postponing it. At some point, we decided, I live out in, in Atlanta now. Uh, I moved out here five or six years ago. And we decided, why don't we just do it out here? We're kind of still, you know, just creeping back into getting back to work, and mm. it's starting to be safe to open up film sets again. And we decided... If there was ever a COVID movie, this is the one. There's no reason we can't do this. I mean, we've got a one-person <laughs> cast and a tiny crew at one location, so why not? We ended up calling her back uh, off of a, you know, a video casting that we'd done and talked about the script with her. But you're right. I was looking for someone who could do accents, and I asked her, "Can you cry? And are you okay being, you know, by yourself <laughs> on set for the the entirety of the shoot?" And I feel still really lucky that we found Coco. We were on, it was like, what, 95 degrees in that room? Uh, sorry, you'll have to do the Celsius conversion for me. But uh, um, yeah, so that's, yeah, about 30 and, degrees, something like that. Yeah. And asking an <laughs> actress to, you know, basically work by herself and not play off of anybody and have so much dialogue, you know, memorized, and she never did anything without a smile and she was happy to be there and it was just so fun so we're glad that we found her because <laughs> i'm not not kidding about the accents because you know you, you have some quite long takes in this and she's on multiple phone conversations and you know part of the setup is that she's um developed a different persona for everyone she's working with some some think she's australian or english or so, somebody thinks she's um, french and she's literally having to switch accents all the time i mean it's part part of her character is actually almost 
you know, gets caught out at one point when, when she forgets which accent she's, she's, she's meant to be in. But, right. but it, is, it's, it is really impressive that, uh, you know, she's able to keep going and just sort of go, you know, French accent, English accent, Australian accent. Um, it, it and you know what's funny is I had less accents in the script than she brought. <laughs> At some point she was like, hey, could I change this one into this one instead? And I said, yeah, by all means, <laughs> if you could do it. She speaks like three languages fluently and then has a whole, I mean, I, she probably has more accents we didn't even get into. But we would hit or we would hit record and say action and let her go for like seven, eight pages at a time. And she would just do it flawlessly. It's wild. Uh, you mentioned that um, this was conceived pre-COVID. So, so the, the um, what's, what's the concept always to have, you know, the focus on one person in, in the room, everyone else, you know, via voice, as it were? Yeah, it was. Originally, I had written this as a short that I could shoot for really cheap, like in an apartment or something. And I was just thinking, man, what could I do in one room that would be really interesting? Well, what if they had a whole bunch of cell phones? Okay, if they had a bunch of phones, you know, what would what would they be doing? Why would they need that? And I always loved bank heists. So I just kind of merged those ideas together. The problem was I could never get the short under like 27 pages. <laughs> and everyone will tell you your short should be five to seven minutes, not 20 pages, not 25 pages. So yeah, if you, if you, I just extended it into the feature because there was just so much in there that I wanted to have. You know, I wanted to have backstabbings and double crosses mm -hmm. and surprises, but you can't really get that unless you have time to set it up. So, yeah, I think yeah. also if you, if you want any any hope of getting your film into a short film into like a competition or, or, or festival, then you have to have it at least at the most 20 minutes, I think. So, you know, right, uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. And then you and then you think, man, I'm going to spend two or three days shooting a short and never really hope to have a return on whatever I spend. But for the almost the same price, you could double your length and have a feature that you could hope to sell. So that's what we did. We shot in 11 days, so it wasn't that long compared mm -hmm. to a short. So it seemed to make sense. There's um, an interesting sequence in the middle of this um, where, where you, you do sort of break things up. So, so, so um, there are a couple of visitors who turn up to the to the warehouse to sort of add more problems um, to 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 um, sort of Coco's situation. Um, was was that a deliberate thing as well? You know, was it like um, an, just an opportunity to sort of change the pace of the film? Yeah, definitely. I knew it would be a tough sell to anyone to just say there's really one person by themselves for 90 minutes. So we had to change that up a little bit. Um, you also, you guys also went into a little bit of, you know, when you were talking about our show or our movie, uh, kind of layering on the problems and she has so many things that she has to solve and none of them, she doesn't have time to solve any of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it just yeah. seemed to make sense to bring one more thing in at a crucial moment, you know, when some, there's a big turn in what's going on in the bank and someone, you know, finds out some information and that's the moment she really needs to be there, but can't be. Yeah. You know? So that was yeah. the goal there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rich, got anything you want to jump in with at the moment? Now, Rich and Steve hadn't seen it uh, before last week, right? That's right. <clears throat> yeah, we um, watched it this week, so. By the way, uh, I didn't know that we, we were going to be one of your faves for the year until 
last week when you get, did that. So we had set this up before. I'm not here just because of that, but <laughs> I'm interested if uh, Rich and Steve have something to say about it too. I mean, to be fair, if I'd have seen it at that point, I probably, yeah, it would, would be in the top 10 last year. But yeah, it's just, I'm amazed at um, Coco's performance. I thought she was absolutely phenomenal. Um, really good. I mean, when you're saying she's on set on her own, um, you know, with the phone calls and stuff, I presume it's all ADR, but was there someone on set doing that with her or? So that's kind of a fun story. I went through a lot of ideas of how we were going to do that. You don't really want to just have someone on set who's not an actor reading lines. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah, you lose the performance. I'm, yeah, they're looking for a return of some kind <laughs> to yeah. work with. And uh, I didn't want to figure out schedules for getting all these people there for all that time also you know because you switch back and forth so much it didn't make sense so what we ended up doing was recording pretty much the whole movie on zoom just like we're doing right now uh, ahead of time so for two weeks i just did one-on-ones with coco and whatever other part there was and we would just go through the script one scene at a time with everything that they were involved in and really i would call action and we do three or four takes over zoom and i had sent microphones to everyone's houses so they just pushed record and they sent it all to me. And then I ended up editing before we ever started shooting. I edited all those conversations down. So it would have the actor line and then a space for her line and then the actor line and then a space for her line. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was exactly what they had performed. So it wasn't like I was lying to her about this is how much time I think you should have. It was really how much time you know had been spent. And we just pushed play on all those recordings on the day. And she knew it so well. I had put all those recordings on her iPod ahead of time. So she was just listening to them and rehearsing by herself <laughs> with the whole script. It's interesting. Um, there's there's a, a great scene in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, Tarantino's film, when um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is, is doing exactly that. You know, he, he's basically, he's recorded all the, all the other characters' lines on right. a tape and he's just listening to it and and you know rehearsing uh you know his his bits which was quite fascinating so yeah. right yeah. the real way to do this would be have those actors you know in the wings have actual phone calls going i think that's how they did lock actually uh so there's different ways to do it it just depends yeah. you know I, I guess the setup that you that you have and the budget you have sure i mean you mentioned lock there have been one or two other films um where we, we've had like one actor on, on stage and having to react to, to other people. I, th- I think the difference for me in this one is, is that those people were in very confined spaces, you know. Right, uh, they couldn't even move. They, yeah, exactly. So stuck in a car or, you know, the Ryan Reynolds one where he's, he's stuck in a box bur- buried under the ground sort of thing. Yeah, that's so, one of my so, favorites. <laughs> so, so, so this one, you're able to add more sort of visual dynamic to, 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 to that story by, um, you know, allowing the camera to move around, allowing your character to move around as well. Um, there's one particular moment in the film where something happens in the bank. Quite, it's sort of quite shocking to, to, to um, sort of Coco's character and, and you're able to sort of just draw the camera away from her. So, so she's just sort of just isolated in the thing, which, you know, you wouldn't be able to do in, in any of those other stories. Right. The funny thing is they did do that in uh, Buried, even though he was in a coffin. 
they're kind of cheating a little bit by pulling the camera outside of where it was physically able to be. But yeah, uh, and I can't remember if you guys talked about this when you reviewed it the first time, but part of what I told my director of photography I wanted to do was start really wide and slow. Mm-hmm. So we were on wide angles, uh, actually, you know, wide lenses and farther away from her. And slowly, 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 we're pushing in, pushing in, pushing in until you get to late in the second act when you're right here in her in her eyes and mm-hmm. her mouth, her ears, right in her face, almost like the setting kind of dissolves away and it becomes less and less important because what's really important is what she's going through and the stakes for her and her team, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we get some nice sort of backstory for her as well, sort of um, ex- explaining her sort of motivation, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Which, which is very interesting. Um, I mean, is, is that the way the sort of lotteries are set up in the States? I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, you want all this money, but we're not giving it to you all, all at once sort of thing. Well, <laughs> that's actually a, a decision you can make. So you're allowed to take, I don't know how it is for you guys, but for us, if you win something mm. like that, you can either take a cash payout, which is a percentage, mm. or you could take monthly payouts until it runs out. Um, the idea being, we wouldn't actually pay you for for example, 10 years from now and mm. in 10 years, that's what you would be winning. But if you're going to take it right now, adjusted for inflation, that's only this much. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if they actually keep that much cash on hand. You yeah, know, like that's a law that, that's kind of fudged a little bit for our story. But I, I mean, I guess that's how mm. it works. Yeah. Um, Rich, any, anything from you at this point? No, I, I just want to echo uh, what I, what Steve was saying about, you know, the, 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 uh, well, and Mike, you know how impressive that 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 opening is when she's moving between those different characters that she's created to to li- to liaise with these people, and you know the how impressive that performance is right off the bat. That really hooks you in, right? Uh, and then the sort of really interesting sort of setup, you know, and what she's telling them, and then you know what what parts of that are the truth. You're just not quite sure, you know, even when she's saying something that seems like it might be a legitimate explanation you're still not sure is she's is that still another trick that she's she's trying to play them with uh it, it it's great i've never seen her in anything before and i'll definitely be uh, i'm, I'm already, i've already started trying to find out you know some of the other work that she's done um you're as well also you know it's quite an assured debut from yourself um as far as i can tell you've not directed a, a feature before though you have an extensive uh his, you know uh, career in in the film industry um this is a project that i guess was um you say you started developing it before COVID. It's something you've been wanting to do for quite some time. Um, yeah, I mean, I've written this quite a while ago and I had been editing low budget features for uh, a couple of guys out in California who were I still work with. Um, they had been churning out stuff, you know, along this line, you know, this level of budget and this kind mm-hmm. of story and stuff. And I thought, man, I'd like to be a part of that. And we were talking, Mike and I, a little bit before the show is I watch a lot of these like micro budget feature movies. I love them. <laughs> Eventually you're like, I could do this. There's no reason I can't, if they can do it, I could do it. So I wanted to give that a shot. Um, yeah. So it was sort of, I guess a bucket list item. And if there's more than great, if we never make another one, at least I, you know, got that one out of my system. <laughs> Sorry if I missed that. Uh, Cause I, 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 uh, I might've missed it. When you say over, how long was the journey between actually uh, producing and completing the film to actually getting the sort of international distribution that you've managed to achieve? Um, I wrote the short back when I was in college. Mm-hmm. So 10 years, even longer ago. Um, 
I had approached my production company, you know, who I was editing for mm-hmm. about doing it in 2019. I think um, we ended up shooting it in 2021 mm-hmm. and then we released it in 2022. So that's really, that's, that's, it's that's kind of strange. Quick, People really? ask how long did it take? And I'm like, well, technically <laughs> 10 or 15 years, but yeah. really like <laughs> two years. I don't usually take that long to write scripts these days. You know, it gets easier and easier, but mm-hmm. that's just the way the first one worked out, I guess. And you've, and is it, a, uh, in terms of, obviously we've got it, it's, it's available in the US and over here in the UK. Uh, how many other sort of territories at the moment are you aware of that it's? That it's um, that's a good question. Indie Rights, our distributor, takes care of all that stuff. So I don't mm-hmm. even really keep up. I know in the United States, if you're listening, uh, it's available for free on Tubi. And like you guys said, it's on, it's on Amazon Prime for a rental. Yeah. It's on YouTube movies for rental. Um, it's the other one. Google movies uh, you can rent and it'll be on YouTube streaming for free. I think in June is when oh, they have wow. a release date okay. for that. Um, and then they're always looking for more places. So it will appear on more platforms. Mm-hmm. But if you look maybe in your show notes, you could put we've got a, a link tree that keeps that keeps updated with where it's available yeah. to watch. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just want to talk about props for a minute. Um, yeah. it, it, is, it is probably the one thing. We, well, I think there was two things we, we flagged when we were watching it. Uh, uh, one is um, the, the only time the budget really sort of shows through is, is when sort of the police turn up um, in, in what, what looks like sort of paintball gear, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, which is fine, you know. I mean, it, it, it is a low-budget film at the end of the day. So, right, so right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, the, the low-budget stuff always, I feel like, tries to do more than they're capable of doing, and yeah. I'm maybe guilty of the same thing. But at least I was going for. Look, I know this isn't going to look completely real. Let's try to shoot it in a way that it's sort of, you know, a suggestion of what's happening instead of full-on, you know, police shootout like you would like to see. Oh, it, um, it, I must admit, it did sort of pass me by, but the trouble is my friend Will, who, who re- did the review, he is actually a policeman. So oh, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 sort of like, it was, you know, he was quick to notice. Um, the only other thing, and, and, and I'm trying to skirt around it as much as I can because I don't want to give away spoilers, um, but there's, there's something, there's a reveal at the end, and it kind of needs... Uh, Kaiko's character to kind of go against her character in order for it to work. If uh-huh. so, so, so somebody turns up and she's like, "Oh my God, you're alive!" sort of thing, and it's like, really, at that point, she she should right. be sort of put, you know, two and two right, together. Right, right, right. But the right. only way it works is is if she sort of goes, you know, in the moment she's going, "Oh my God," you know. Right, and I think <laughs> at that point you do definitely have enough information to figure out, you know, what's going on. Um, my hope was that at least if you're there right at that moment, we're also going to reveal that, you know, within Mm. 30 seconds. So it it doesn't take long for it. Right. So good on you for, for being there and like paying attention (laughs) and also watching my movie long enough to get that far. (laughs) Having said that, she, she was, she was prepared for something. Right. The the original script, the short, was called Plan C mm. uh, because the idea was that she always had a backup plan and she had backups for the backups and backups for the backups for the backups. And there mm. is another shot, if you notice, uh, in the movie. She opens the desk at one point to pull out some binoculars 
and you see another phone in there that says plan C on it. Yeah. So I do try to drop in some <laughs> hints like she really doesn't trust anyone. She always, you know, is trying to have a way out. And, you know, that was the whole theme for me for the movie was she doesn't trust anyone. This is her fatal flaw is if only she had, you know, maybe it wouldn't have gone this way. Mm. But I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, she's so well prepared, you know, like you say, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. And she covers herself in loyalty. It does come to fruition that things go wrong, you know, and it's bound to do. Right. Because, you know, with her not being on the ground as such, there's always that. It, go, it goes reservoir dogs, doesn't it? <laughs> it yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's always that risk of something it, 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 not, not going exactly with the plan. Yeah, it's, it's Michael Madsen kicking <laughs> off, basically. Right. There's a scene in uh there's a scene in one of the newer Planet of the Apes movies. You guys have seen those, I'm sure, where everything's going wrong and Caesar is in the back of a car and I think he got shot or something, and he's just there so angry and you know, huffing and puffing, but there's literally nothing he can do. Mm. And I remember that moment stuck out to me as man, how powerless. And that was sort of the goal of her too, was you may feel like you're in control but at some point there's only so much you can do from yeah. far away and what happens when you lose control what what is there for you other than to just sit there and listen at sometimes you know yeah how heartbreaking yeah. that can be um i just want to sort of touch on your 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 other um oh that sounds horrible just want to sort of touch on um, <laughs> where you touch it mike come on i know where am i touching um <laughs> <laughs> the rest of your sort of filmography, um, as we were chatting before, um, I did mention that you know uh, it can't be it can't help but notice the fact that you've um, been involved with a lot of Marvel's output over the last uh, few years, um, either on TV or, or sort of on, on their sort of features. Um, first of all, how did you get that gig? Because I'm sure <laughs> a lot of people will be in, interested in that. Um, yeah, well, I mean that goes way back. Is that I've always wanted to work in filmmaking, whatever it was. When I was in college, I felt drawn to post-production, so I sort of made that my focus at the time. Hmm. Um, I landed my first job right out of college, uh, working for James Cameron's 3D company. So that was actually the day Avatar came out is when I started there. Uh, yeah. And if you remember hmm. at the time, 3D kind of took off hmm. and it was his practical 3D camera rigs that were kind of behind all that. Mm -hmm. And for a period of two or three years, we were doing all the 3D dailies for you know every big 3D release. I see. That's interesting. I mean, I've never thought of this before, but I mean, you know, he's, he's developed these new cameras for filming 3D and to, to make it re relatively affordable for, for a lot of companies to be doing it. But, you know, d does that then mean you need specialized equipment to to do the editing as well? You know, is is the sort of the back room stuff having to be sort of uh, redesigned on, on top of it. Yeah. Well, I could, by the way, I could talk about 3d all day if you guys want to. So stop me whenever you're bored. But <laughs> the thing was at the time they had the patent for the, the 3d camera rig that they used and it works just like your eyeballs do. Right. So you're capturing mm -hmm. one left, one right. Um, and that was before all the cameras were digital like they are today, you know, like reds and Alexa's and mm -hmm. they were actually shooting to tape. So the problem, though, is you have twice as much media because you're shooting two cameras at all times. And then if you have three camera angles, you're looking at six, six 
different cameras that are actually shooting and all that media. And there had to be a way to get all that video footage into Avid so the regular editors could edit it, you know, mm-hmm. looking at it in 3D. Um, so yeah, it was, it's like hard, <laughs> really. And you think maybe adding a camera doubles the workload and actually it's more like times three. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays it's a little different cause they'll just shoot it 2d and then post convert it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or in the case of, you know, avatar or like Pixar stuff, it's all digitally rendered anyway. So that's not that much more work because they're just slapping another digital camera onto it. Yeah. It's kind of wild the way that it all went. And these days I, I think you're hard pressed to find something that's actually shot in 3d outside of maybe Angley's movies. But, uh, anyways, from there, I, you know, started to meet some people. And at some point I decided I didn't really want to work on set anymore or do dailies anymore. So I made the jump over to, uh, actually I got hired at Pinewood studios in Atlanta. I don't know if you knew there was one out here uh, when they were expanding. So I was working for Pinewood studios doing dailies. That's when I kind of broke into the Marvel stuff because they were doing infinity war and Endgame. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a year long shoot. And after that, Pinewood made some changes. They closed our department in Atlanta and I made the jump over to editorial, which is where, you know, I started doing the Disney plus shows as an assistant editor and, you know, Marvel just does so much work, especially in Georgia. I mean, Georgia and London is where a lot of it is and it just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And at this point, I'm pretty confident that there's another one as soon as my job ends so I can jump on the next (laughs) But it's fun. I'm a huge Marvel fan anyways. So I was watching yeah. that stuff before I was ever working on it. And I still pitch myself every day when I ever it gets boring. I'm like, yeah, but look what I'm doing. People would kill for this job. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm sure. I mean, you know, we're, we're old enough to remember what, what it used to be like, you know, when, when Marvel was sort of selling off things like the Punisher. Yeah, totally. With, with, with uh, Dolph Lundgren and, uh, yeah. yeah. I remember those too. What was the other one? Thomas Jane, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Thomas Jane, yeah. yeah, all that. Um, Captain yeah. America was the main one, everyone. Oh, the Albert film. Oh, yeah. In the yeah. 90s, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Good old, good old Albert. <laughs> there was a Spider-Man one, too, around that time, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, they were trying to, series, they never quite yeah. got off the ground. But well, there was, there was, it was a series yeah. in, the, in the late 70s, early 80s. Did you guys yeah. watch uh, She-Hulk? Yeah. How did no, you I like haven't... the... Oh, you didn't? Oh, I'm not going to spoil it for you. There's a really great opening sequence <laughs> that you would like if you watch the old Lou Ferrigno Hulk show. All right. I need yeah. to catch it. I need, I need, I, I'm way behind on Disney stuff at the moment. But yeah. Hey, love it or hate so much it, stuff you know, to try and watch, isn't there? <laughs> there is. Yeah, it's tough. And, and they're part of the problem, if you would call it that. But love it or hate it, they do what they do really well. I mean, you always know what you're going to get. And it's mm. not going to be bad. It might not be the greatest thing you've ever seen, but there's going to be some laughs. And there's going to be some drama, some stakes, but you know, it's fairly safe and, you know, it's family friendly and there's some fun action and visual effects. So, I mean, you know what you sign up for. So Rick, what's, um, what's the, you know, if you could go into making your next film, it's a genre movie. What genre are you going to pick? Um, I really would like to do a horror movie. Mm -hmm. So I've got some scripts written between, you know, some are 10,000, some are 2 million. It just depends on, you know, what we can get going next. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea behind Solid Rock Trust was to take a genre film and do a spin on it. So it's something you recognize and is very familiar. And yet 
something you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and we took a lot of the same tropes you would find in a bank heist and get them in there in a fresh way. At least that was the goal. And I'd like to still try to do that. So we'll take a genre that has certain things that you need to hit, but try to flip them on its head, you know, one after another and do something different. Brilliant. Awesome. Great. We're going to wrap the interview part up there. Um, so thanks for joining us for that. Yeah, great. Um, Thank you so much for the great reviews and having <laughs> me on. And man, it was just a pleasure. Our short shot this week is Dream War. An operative dives into the subconscious dream state of his captive while his partners engage in a battle of life and death with those hell-bent on stopping them. Um, Rich, you warned us last week that this was basically a fan film. He didn't, he didn't sort of tell us which one, but even though it doesn't actually say what it is, um, it does become pretty clear um, which, which universe this belongs into. Yeah, it's it's interesting because on the uh, on the notes or the you know the tags or whatever for the for the video on on YouTube, it doesn't mention it at all, uh, and there's no message that comes up at the beginning to stress that it's fan film. So it's it's not intended as like a proper in you know upfront fan film. It's just an idea they that, that um, uh, hmm. the the filmmaker Kevin Brill has has used, and those that know will know. And it, and you know Inception was such a big film that I think most people you know. Uh, will pick up on it if they see it and uh, and i think it's a good spring uh jumping off point and in, for the for the for the stops for the short that he's made uh for the action you know because it's a very action-led short but it's like about 15 minutes long uh, mm. and i think he did a really good job of of sort of taking that idea and working within the budget limitations that he had to tell a story within that kind of situation within the same kind of situation yeah so so rick i mean you know you're talking about um solid rock trust you know possibly have been being a, a short at one point um yeah we, we we cover a lot of short films and a, a good percentage of them are basically fight films you know as um a fight sequence with a little bit of story added um you know ma- mainly as a uh, you get like a countdown like, clock or there's yeah, a bomb that's going to go off somewhere. Something like that. Yeah, we, we get a lot of that. <laughs> we got to save a, a kidnapped person. Yeah. Um, but I think this one, you know, there is just enough story and just enough concept behind it um, to, to sort of build upon. Um, what, the, the reason I sort of asked you to sort of watch it is, is I, I was quite taken with the editing of this. Um, especially during the fight sequences as well, where we've got, you know, um, a fight going on in one reality and a fight going on in the other. And, and they do a really good job of sort of juxtaposing the, the action between the two. Yeah, I noticed the same thing. I thought that was real fun. Uh, Rich, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, well, I just go, I go, gave some thoughts. Has, has Steve had a chance to watch it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I watched Sorry. it, yeah. Oh, cool. uh, I enjoyed this one, actually. Yeah. Um... I thought the fight sequences were done really, really well. I mean, obviously, you know, two minutes in, you're thinking, okay, Inception. Um, not the most original uh, shot we've seen, especially for a while, but I thought the the fighting, the fact the choreography was really good. I thought it was actually quite brutal, to be fair. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, like the, the ball in the sock and stuff, you know, scum coming out and everything like that. Um but yeah, all, all in all, it was pretty decent this one, actually. Um, yeah. Especially like the um, 
the fight scene between the girl and the two. Yes, that was two gangsters. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just yeah, pretty brutal. I didn't really expect it to be that that harsh to be fair, but no, it was actually pretty decent. Yeah, he did a. Um... Kevin Burrell and his is a brilliant, brilliant action is is his company that makes these films, mm. and he he's done. They they've been a variable quality. Some of them I've been really impressed by, and some of them I hadn't liked at all. There was one that we he releases quite consistently. In fact, I think he's since this one came out a few weeks ago, he's already released another one. But um, there was one that came out several months ago, and I really didn't like the editing and stuff on that. It was uh, they, I don't know if he was experimenting and trying some some, some tricks and stuff on um, on the speeds and things, but it just uh it, it didn't work it didn't it, for me it just didn't work with whereas this one you can see the action it's really solid it's really sharply shot um you know he's i've i've been impressed sorry i've been impressed with his choreography but it's also it's the the filmmaking here as well i think is is really good and yes i would love to see uh him sort of uh develop more story in his but he is you know these are action vehicles for his him and his team uh, yeah. is that that's the, the kind of sort of principal purpose of them that was going to be my question is these things are basically just showcases right for yes. what they could do they're re reels essentially and mm -hmm. uh yeah they're like that because i always yeah. wonder who are these people putting these together and a lot of times it seems like mm, they're not quite there yet <laughs> yeah but this no, one i felt was a step above what i've seen as far as these kind of movies go yeah as i say we, we you know we we do watch a lot of these um and and some of them you know, our I mean, there's one particular company called um, Art School Dropouts who, who do brilliant choreography, but one or two of their films have, have literally just been the fight and no Nothing story else. at all. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It almost yeah. makes me think they're just cutting together a fight just to release, you know, and that's yeah. the demo reel, but why not? Basically. Why not put it out there? Yeah, well, um, the, the Marshall Club guys who ended up working with Marvel mm. have, um, did the same thing. They established a following on YouTube doing you know showcasing mm. what they can do within a short film sort of dressing up yeah. uh, they would do yeah. sort of little narratives yeah. and stuff yeah. and then you know it just established what their physical capabilities were and you know now then then they get you know work on shang chi and uh, everything, everything everywhere, everywhere at once well, and, yeah. and all that sort of stuff yeah. so yeah it's a, it's kind of a springboard that a lot of people we, we notice a lot of people using say youtube or vimeo you know making the short films getting them out not necessarily for festivals because uh, you know some some films they get made and then you, you never see them because they're made pretty much exclusively sort of for the festival circuit. Right. Right. And, uh, but others, they just get them straight out, build a, build an audience, you know, sort of um, establish their reputation and stuff. So it's interesting mm. to see how different, different filmmakers are using the short films format and what, what their capabilities are. And I think here we're, we're seeing another good example of, of what this guy and his team are capable of. And, you know, want to see, they, I want to see them go on and do a feature, you know, and, and see what they can do within like an hour and 20 minutes, hour, you know, yeah. hour, and, hour and a half or something. See if, can they sustain that? Can they develop a story that can, right, right. That can use that action uh, effectively? That's the thing is you point out that this one had a little bit of a story and that's what's missing from a lot of them. Right. But for me, yeah. I sometimes tune out when the action gets overly long like this. Mm. It, because yeah, I, I there agree. are this no is, sticks well, you know because you don't yeah, know yeah. why why it's happening like i need something else and that's what this one gave me a little bit more than the others i felt like some reveals i don't know if you guys go into spoilers on these short shots but there's some twists at the end that you might not see coming and it's fun to at least layer in a little bit of that so you feel like there's a reason for this it's not just kick kick punch bottle yeah. 
kick through the bottle <laughs> on the head though was was a nice touch. That was yeah. a good one. Yeah. I don't think uh, I've seen that before. I, th I think there were one or two bits which were overly sped up and um, at the beginning, but you know, eventually it's sort of, you know they got into the sort of the rhythm of it a bit more. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a really good one. This. Um, we, we don't score the shorts, but we do recommend you check them out and you will find a link to this in the footnotes below. Go check it out. Our next film is You Might Be the Killer. A summer camp counsellor rings his best friend in a panic when he finds himself hunted by a masked killer. Or is he? Um... This is just very enjoyable for the most part, Rich. Uh, this is currently on Shudder. Stars um, Fran Krantz from Cabin in the Woods, among others, and also Alison Hannigan from Buffy. Um, a great little setup. Uh, you know, we, I was worried it was going to be in media res, and I, and I was actually willing to forgive it for once if it, if it was. But it, it is more involved than that. It isn't sort of, you know, exactly that. But um, yeah, for the most part, this is a decent um, sort, of, sort of good take on the whole sort of summer camp serial killer kind of trope. Uh, how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I loved it. It was exactly up my uh, up my street. I thought the, uh, the the sort of slasher movie stuff was done really well. You know, lots of references. Um, to uh, Friday the 13th films in particular, mm. but also the performances of characters and the sort of uh, the fun sort of discussions on conventions and and that of the uh, of the slasher genre, which we've seen loads of other you yeah. know films such as well, Scream and that. Yeah, too. I was going to say Scream and, constantly dines out on this sort of stuff, doesn't it? Well, and mm. uh, and as you mentioned before, Cabin in the Woods, you know, mm. <laughs> basically did the same thing as well. But Frank Kranz is kind of a sort of. Uh, the, back in the sort of similar kind of environment, but here he's he's the lead. He's a very different kind of character to the one he played in in Cabin in the Woods, which I hadn't even realised because it was I only really became aware of him as an actor when when we did his film um, uh, Blood Sucking Bastards. Bastards, yeah, in which he that was the really lead. Uh, and so I I actually went back to Cabin in the Woods uh, this uh, a few a few days ago uh, after seeing after seeing this uh, mm. and. Uh, to sort of look at them in comparison, and uh, I do think they make a they do make a good double bill. I think this is better. I prefer this one. I think there's stuff about Cabin in the Woods that, for me, um, you know, I'm not that worried about. But um, it's actually with, with Cabin in the Woods, it's kind of the the office kind of stuff <laughs> that I liked most in that movie, rather than the yeah. sort of the killers kind of bits. Whereas this is all sort of the killers and stuff. And the, uh, I like how the um, Oh, actually, I'll tell you the other film that came to mind when I was watching this, which I think it would be a really good double bill with Final Girl or Final yes, Girls. Sorry. Final Girls, yeah. yeah. See, I was, uh, I've not watched it, but I was thinking that I'm looking at the poster and stuff. I'm yeah. thinking, you know, is it along the lines? Yeah, I think they're very much trying to do a similar a similar kind of thing, but very this differently. Is, this is more gory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is. And this, what, what, we, what we end up here with is basically a horror variation of The Mask. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Uh, In fact, I was, I was surprised when 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 you see the mask, it, it you know it is so close to it, and, and even look yeah, even, <laughs> even looks know, like back, it yeah. The backstory and everything, you think, I don't you know the, the way it sort of draws him in, you know, sort of forcing him to wear it and stuff like that. If it's, anything, that's a weakness oh, for the film because it's yeah. so close to that concept yeah. of you know it's like mm -hmm. they've really basically just ripped off the concept of the mask. Yeah. 
and and you know matched so it to a slasher it. movie. So that so that's a little. I mean, it's a good idea, but it's a mm. little bit of a. Uh, it's a little bit too close to a comfort. Skirts a bit you know, close, yeah. Skirts a bit close yeah. to copyright stuff, I would say. Yeah. But um, the and Alison Hannigan, great to see her. She's got the same, you know, uh, you know, bubbly sort of sparky, sort of nature, yeah, 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 bubbly nature character that she had when she was in Buffy. She's there. She's basically the same. I didn't like her when I didn't like her in the American Pie movies. I, I didn't. Mm. I didn't like seeing her in with that kind of character that she was playing. But here, she's much more sort of Willow like. Um, mm. So good to see, uh, good to see her. But I mean, sure, she's she's got loads of other stuff, but I actually haven't seen her in anything for quite a while. Um, mm. And so, uh, yeah, I enjoyed her. And all oh, the rest of the cast are really good. I mean, the guy playing Steve the Kayak King is absolutely is brilliant. He, yeah, he was uh, really Brian good. You know, when, when he's when he's um, you know, when he's instructing the kids before they yeah. go to take the canoeing, I thought that was you know, I thought he really, really good really comic good. delivery and stuff. Yeah, because <laughs> um, he's kind of playing it sort of like are you. You play, you're being serious or are you having a joke? He's kind of deadpanning it, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, yeah. uh, he's good. And then I'll say all the others um, uh, playing the supporting characters. And the um, the plot and the way it's, you know, hmm. uh, non-linear and going back and forth and different perspectives and, and stuff. I, I I had a lot of fun with that. You know, I thought I didn't mind, you know, because it's, hmm. it's very humorous. There's lots of, you know, it, title it cards is- and... Stuff. Yeah, it's humorous up to a point, and then it suddenly turns really nasty, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, which which is really interesting. It's sort of, it, it, you know, it, it it sort of goes a bit deeper. For, for well, that's that's finale. the hard thing with some of the um, yeah. with with horror and comedy. You know, it's a really yeah. difficult thing to to pull off. I think. I mean, you know, it's, it it did it and stuff. Yeah. And I think other films, you know, and Scream and whatever, they there's different degrees where people try, and sometimes yeah. it just really doesn't work. Especially yeah. if you're going leaning into the comedy as much as you're leaning into the horror, I think yeah. that was one of the things that struck me when I saw Shaun of the Dead. Mm. Is you know it's a what very sort of bright comedy, whatever. But some end. of some yeah. of it's really gruesome. There's some yeah, really yeah. gruesome stuff in it, um, yeah. but it, but it, it it works, and you know it's it's um this yeah. um yeah as I say it, it turns pretty nasty, but it does save itself with its very final scene. You know it's sort of. It ends, you know, it heads really bleak, and then right at the end, it's like, oh, we're back to comedy again. You yeah. know, to end end on that note. It's like, oh, right, okay, that's that's an interesting way. You know, if there's ever a sort of a sequel or something, they've got a way of doing it. But yeah. I, I, I and there's a great song that. at the end as well. Yes, there is. Yeah. But you know that because yeah, the ending it's brilliantly done. You know, because dawn's arriving and, and you've got these sort of, sort of very tranquil shots and things and then the characters are walking away in the distance and it's like, bloody hell, you know. But then the next the very next scene is like, you know, just, be- just before the credits, you know, saves it, which is really yeah. cool. <laughs> Really impressed with this one. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, how, no, we don't score the throwbacks. We don't score them, but we do recommend them. We certainly recommend them. This one's on Shudder. Um, so if you've got a Shutter subscription, we certainly recommend you uh, check this one out. And it's definitely a good reason to um, to get a subscription for films such as this. Yeah, so that is the end of this week's show. So thanks to Steve and Rich for joining us. No problem. Joining us. I've, I've got a split personality now. Um, <laughs> we also had Rick Ives on the show. Um, please check out uh, Slotted Rock Trust. Um, it's on Tubi if you're in the States, or you can rent it through various platforms, including Amazon in the UK. 
don't forget to check us out on Twitter and Facebook at the DTV Digest. Also check out the short shots um, where Rich puts a short on every evening around about eight o'clock. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.